1: Welcome to All Things Policy. In today's episode, I have with me Shri Krishna Upadhyay, my colleague, and we're going to discuss the recent regulatory change that has been brought about by the Bar Council of India, which opens up doors for foreign law firms to operate in India. It is being seen as a major regulatory reform, which has been the demand of many companies uh, in India and abroad. At the same time, more broadly, it is expected to create more competition, allow for uh, more level playing field for both foreign firms and domestic firms, and also is hopefully supposed to reduce costs for Indian firms who have to sometimes hire foreign firms at a much higher cost. So, Welcome, uh, Shri Krishna. For our listeners, can we just summarize what has happened? Yeah,
0: sure. Thanks, Aurob. Thanks for having me. This is a hotly contested issue and it actually the history dates back to many decades. So under the Indian law, under the Advocates Act, which uh, governs practice of law in the country, only Indian citizens who have valid degrees are allowed to practice law, right? The question was whether foreign firms can, uh, in fact, advise Indian companies on matters uh, which they might have a better expertise in say uh, law from other jurisdictions or say in matters of arbitration and so on and uh, some of these firms started opening up liaison offices in the country some of them would operate on a flying fly out basis except the existing players in the legal market had a problem with this they said uh, this is uh, contrary to the law as it stood so they challenged these so many bar associations went to high courts and i think high courts also prohibited this practice of foreign firms coming to India to advise clients and uh, they made a very small exception for fly-in and fly-out basis uh, where a lawyer will come and you know, just advice on a very particular issue and then move back to their uh, home jurisdiction. In fact, this matter went up to the Supreme Court of India, where the Bar Council of India, which is the main regulatory body of uh, lawyers in the country, and many state bar associations, associations are basically groups of uh, lawyers, the members of a particular bar, uh, they opposed uh, the practice of foreign lawyers and foreign law firms. And the Supreme Court in 2018 sided with them. It said that no, under the Indian law as it stands, Foreign lawyers cannot be allowed to practice. And it gave uh, BCI, the Bar Council, uh, the authority uh, to make relevant rules in which it can govern such practice if it at all decides to allow uh, foreign lawyers to operate. And this matter was on cold burner for the longest time, right? And suddenly, a couple of weeks back, uh, it was all over the news that Bar Council has issued a notification saying that, you know, foreign law firms and foreign lawyers can practice in India. How did this happen? Uh, we don't know. Uh, what was the regulatory push? I mean, what is the reason behind this regulatory push? We are not sure. It is from you and me and everybody else to guess. Uh, but mm-hmm. what BC has allowed today is foreign lawyers and foreign law firms to practice in India in a very limited manner. How is this limited? Uh, I think there are three broad uh, limitations. First is that they cannot obviously advise on Indian law because they are not practiced to do so. Uh, They can only advise on international law, foreign law uh, or in matters of international commercial arbitration. The second limitation is uh, the foreign lawyers and foreign law firms are allowed to operate on the basis of reciprocity, which is that their home jurisdiction, say a United Kingdom or a Singapore or a USA, should also meet out similar treatment to Indian lawyers. Only if this sort of an arrangement is achieved, can uh, the lawyers from those countries come to India and practice, right? So this reciprocity is a big limitation. The third sort of limitation is they will not be allowed to participate in any litigious matter, which means foreign lawyers and foreign law firms cannot appear before courts, tribunals, authorities, statutory bodies, and so on. So the entire scope of litigation in the country will continue remain uh, will continue and remain to be con- uh, the reserve of domestic lawyers and domestic law firms so given these conditions uh, now foreign law firms are free to apply for a license to bar council of india and there are a bunch of conditionalities for this license you know you have to produce uh, certificates you have to put in security deposit you have to pay hefty fees and thousands of dollars and uh, registration will only be given for five years at a time and you have to be (laughs) renewing that uh, license after every five year period so i mean We are not sure how, I mean, some law firms, of course, are happy because they already had India offices abroad. So now they can probably relocate their offices to India. This is particularly true of firms based in uh, UK and Singapore. But we are not sure how much a business will this really attract. One thing which might change and one of the reasons why uh, the big push has come is because India wants to become an international commercial arbitration hub. Now, like a Singapore or a London, where a lot of these arbitration matters between say MNCs or between countries and MNCs get uh, adjudicated, India wants to emerge as such a hub. And for this reason, they have allowed foreign lawyers to practice. Uh, And India is also investing significantly in arbitration infrastructure. We have had huge units being set up in Delhi and elsewhere. So maybe that will pick up. But the overall impact, especially since it's a five year period, uh, I mean, businesses like certainty, right? If you have to go before the BCI every five years and uh, you know ask them to renew a certificate, you may be not very tempted to do so. Uh, but in any case, uh, it's good news for uh, foreign law firms, it's good news for lawyers in the country who can be hired by these law firms when they set up offices here. And it's also good news for businesses because like you mentioned, a lot of these businesses had to pay lawyers abroad whenever they wanted advice on, say, international issues, say, international taxation or uh, cross-border mergers and joint ventures, you know, transactions which typically require you to have international legal counsels. Now, you'll probably, the business cost of hiring such lawyers will be lesser because, you know, they are based in India and they'll, of course, be staffed by Indian professionals, although the management might be uh, foreign. So, in that sense, it's good news, but the overall effectiveness of the reform in the long run, it remains to be seen.
1: Interesting. So, I mean, so I'm assuming that, you know, so the push here is, would not be as much, you know, in the criminal justice system, it would be more like in commercial law. And I'm guessing like mainly, I mean, like IP laws, right? Because we've seen that, you know, a lot of Indian startups and all, they all have to, you know, either register themselves in like foreign jurisdiction or have to pay very, very hefty fees for, you know, IP registrations. So, Having these would at least, do you think it will help in, you know, like improvement of business sentiment in India? Or do you think this change is very less in that aspect? So I would say that, yeah, you're right, because it does not touch a criminal
0: justice system at all, because that is mostly litigious, right? It involves litigation before the courts and foreign lawyers, of course, are barred from litigation. And I don't see that changing anytime soon because there is a stiff resistance against allowing uh, that to take place. And for that, they need to be qualified in Indian laws as well, because criminal courts are essentially domestic laws. But of course, the major change will have happened in transactional and corporate work. And like you mentioned, intellectual property is definitely one of the areas and the others being like I mentioned, joint ventures, mergers and acquisition, contract drafting, international taxation, and arbitration. Arbitration is one area where I figure there'll be significant sentiment going forward. But from a business perspective, of course, it's better because essentially, I mean, like for the IP registration, maybe it's it's ultimately uh, governed by the domestic law for different jurisdiction. The only difference now is that you can consult lawyers who are situated in your city as opposed to paying somebody who's sitting in London. So that might be savings in terms of business costs. But unless the regulatory environment changes with regard to IP registration in that particular jurisdiction, I don't see much changing. It's just that in terms of availing these legal services, it's much more convenient for you
1: so, so for example, because IP laws are still domestic laws, for example. So if I am an Indian company who wants to register for an IP, let's say in USA, I can now hire uh, experts of U.S. law firms based in India at a much cheaper cost. But if I have to hire somebody to file a patent in Indian office, I will still have to maybe go through the usual route, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's okay. That's really and correct. how about this? You know, so I mean, you've said arbitration is is going to be helpful. So you know, like we have been hearing about like these alternative dispute resolution mechanisms. So it includes, you know, mediation arbitration, reconciliation, and uh, things like that. So like, will this impact all of these or just arbitration? It might actually.
0: The thing is, uh, particularly with mediation and conciliation, these are not typically considered as legal services they are I mean, it's borderline i mean we don't have regulatory clarity for example a firm uh, which engages in mediation services is it a law firm or is it not we don't have a clear picture as of today it will only develop with time i do believe that most people consider these to be non-legal services because they're not advising on any law as such they're just trying to conciliate or mediate a dispute between not two parties so i'm not sure if uh, foreign firms who set up in offices in India can uh, be prevented from offering these services. But of course, this remains to be seen because again, uh, there is always reaction to any reform, right? So in case of, certain lobbies yeah. in india feel that you know foreign firms are eating away at our pie. they will put up resistance and then bar council will have to decide whether you know mediation and consideration services can be offered by foreign law firms or not but i don't see there being a bar against that arbitration definitely but uh, not domestic arbitration again international arbitration so for indian companies who are say um, mnc which is engaged in a arbitration dispute uh, they can now conveniently uh, conduct this in Delhi or Mumbai, as opposed to say going to a Singapore or a London, because this uh, means significant cost savings for them. And also, it will improve the overall uh, expertise of arbitration in the country, because I think. Most of international commercial arbitration expertise lies outside of the country. Many Indian practitioners are forced to relocate because, you know, they don't see enough opportunities in the country. But I'm sure for these lawyers, for these arbitration lawyers, it's a welcome reform and they can build domestic expertise, which will, of course, help India achieve its objectives of becoming a world leader in commercial arbitration.
1: So, you know, speaking of special interests, you know, like given how far reaching this reform is, especially, you know, at the high levels, what has been the reaction of, you know, the legal community? I mean, so, you know, like how have big law firms reacted? How have like just uh, everyday lawyers reacted? You know, is this going to actually increase a lot of opportunities for domestic law students, for example, and with this increasing, you know, competition? i mean how prepared are we or will this be a you know situation where foreign firms with you know their huge capital availability is going to just eat up the like the domestic competitors
0: Right. So, I mean, the easiest uh, question to answer is about the law students. I think most of them would be happy because the pay packages might shoot up. Um, (laughs) The job opportunities, at least in the short run, the job opportunities will grow, which means any, I mean, this does not apply to litigation, of course. Litigation continues to be a struggle for most law students because it does not pay well and takes a lot of time to be established as a litigator. But in corporate firms, uh, which uh, pay you on the higher side, I'm sure. Students or young lawyers can negotiate much better packages now when firms will be willing to retain talent and avoid the foreign firms from poaching talent. So it's good news for uh, individual lawyers, at least in the short run, when these firms will uh, set up offices in the coming months or years. About the industry itself, so there's a Society of Indian Law Firms which has welcomed the move, which in fact uh, supported BCI and this has been over, uh, I think this negotiation has taken place over a decade now and although they initially opposed it, they have come, uh, I mean they have changed course and they have supported the BCI in this move but they have also expressed certain concerns and worries about loss of revenue and they want to ensure that you know BCI plays a proactive role in making sure that the foreign firms do not overshoot their domain like i mentioned the uh, limitations earlier but i think some of the bigger foreign uh, foreign firms are also interested because uh, as i mentioned earlier this will be on the basis of reciprocity which means if a uk allows uh, indian lawyers to practice there to whatever extent india will offer the same treatment right so i think some of the bigger firms are also interested in expanding their business outside Mm -hmm. right so in that sense there are business opportunities as regards the bar association we so far have not seen like very high resistance being put up but my guess is uh because bcai has been very careful in uh, making this reform specific to certain areas and which does not affect the business of domestic lawyers and law firms i think they are also okay with it more and less but my concern is as with as it happens with most things in the country today uh, this is going to be challenged like there will be some pils which uh i mean i'll Take my neck out and make this prediction there but there will be some pils in some high courts so or supreme court which will challenge it but i don't think there will be a consensus around uh, opposing this i think there will be some elements who will still go ahead and oppose this as i said there's a soft reform and it's very limited and it doesn't affect the business of uh, most of the incumbents so in that way it uh, has a greater chance of success and maybe if it is successful then tomorrow you'll have scope for more wider reforms in this sector but on the capital i have uh, Much more to say uh, because, uh, like you said, there is a discrepancy in terms of competition now, right? Because foreign firms will have uh, foreign capital, and that's uh, endless when compared to the limited domestic capital available for lawyers in the country. And this is because of uh, certain regulatory reasons, uh, which I will take up later. Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break.
1: Yeah. So I'm trying to understand, you know, like uh, how unique is this reform? So, for example, you know, like so the existing reform, you know, the restrictions on only ensuring that uh, it is done in international law. Like, is this a standard practice everywhere else or has the BCI being too restrictive here? Or, you know, like how is the kind of uh, regulatory environment in many other countries, let's say, especially like the our major markets you know like us uk australia yeah so uh To put it shortly,
0: it's no different because uh, law profession has always been practiced at the domestic level. In fact, if you look at USA and all, it is at a state level, it's at a federal level. So it's even more restrictive, like many states in US would not allow somebody who's qualified in a different state to practice, right? So it's not a very free market sort of situation here that, you know, once you get a license, you can go and practice anywhere. And that was not the case in India as well until uh, the Advocates Act was uh, put in place in the early 60s and they abolished all sorts of other kinds of... Of certifications one needed to practice. But today, if you are qualified as a lawyer in the country and you are enrolled to a bar association, you can practice anywhere in the country right? So that sort of reform was brought in in India in much later stage. So legal sector has been resistant to reform, has been resistant to allowing people from everywhere to, I mean, first part is qualification. They're resistant to acknowledge the qualification from different jurisdictions and also to allow them to practice. And there are historic reasons behind it. But I think this sort of reciprocity has helped countries liberalize the market a little bit more. I think in UK, at least now, Indian lawyers can give the bar exam and start practicing i think new york offers a similar treatment but many states in us for example still require you to go and do a jd and -hmm. your llp degree in india is not valid so you have to go complete your jd and then get enrolled uh, as a member of bar to practice so essentially what india is doing today is quite commendable in that sense what bci has done today is taken a step which i think will sort of help in globalizing the legal market going forward
1: Interesting. So I was wondering that, you know, like, given that, you know, India has been preferring to open up the foreign direct investment in many areas of the economy. So how is that kind of, uh, how is the legal sector, or I should say, what is the current situation of the, of FDI in legal sector? And how would this reform impact FDI, if at all, or will it now create a imbalanced kind of uh, environment where foreign firms, as we discussed, they have a lot more capital, which is going to then disproportionately impact the domestic uh, legal market yeah you're right absolutely and this is one of my
0: pet peeves for the longest time right so India has taken proactive steps towards uh, allowing foreign capital beginning from the early 90s and today almost all sectors are liberalized and you have a FDI policy which allows automatic FDI under the automatic route for most sectors and under the government approval route for a few other uh, sectors uh, in fact I think other than atomic energy I don't think there is any other sector in the country where there is no FDI except for the legal sector. and that's funny right because uh, now we have FDI and say banking, insurance, retail, even railways to some extent or defense manufacturing to some extent and all that. And this has not percolated down to legal sector. And why? The question is, I mean, when I found the answer, I was quite surprised. It's simply because right now the professional standards and the regulations made by BCI say that only lawyers can make a law firm and only lawyers can contribute capital to a law firm. In effect, this is what the regulation says, which means like even a non-lawyer in India cannot uh, feed in capital into a law firm, right? Which means if I'm an entrepreneurial lawyer and I want to set up a firm, I can't raise capital from my friends and relatives unless they are, you know, lawyers. Or I can't take it from a venture capitalist uh, or any private equity firm and so on. Unlike most other startups and businesses in the country today. And the other thing is, of course, if the restriction is that you can only accept capital from other lawyers and foreigners can't be lawyers in the country, which means foreign capital is, of course, not allowed. So FDI is not allowed by effect. And the problem right here is of availability of capital, right? Legal sector needs to grow. Uh, In India, legal sector is largely underserviced. Uh, We need more lawyers. We need law firms. And for them to grow and set up businesses and scale and adopt, say, new technology, bring in better practices and, you know, help in the overall growth of the legal administration we need more capital simply that and this effect has been seen across the industry right in every sector where we have allowed FDI we have seen better growth better adoption, adoption of technology more job opportunities and so on so I think it's high time that India also takes the steps towards uh, liberalizing the financial uh, regulation surrounding law firms in the country and allowing lawyers and law firms to raise capital from both domestic sources other than lawyers and also from foreign sources so uh, i mean i think bci has to take the first initiative in this regard by making changes to the relevant professional regulations and later on the government of course uh, can amend the fbi policy to allow this as well and this is a simple reform it doesn't require much state capacity it doesn't require like long deliberations and all of it. it just requires like it's a stroke of the pen reform right it's it's very simple and i don't know why this has not been done yet and i really think right now it's all the more important because in certain uh, areas you have allowed foreign firms to participate which means say an international commercial arbitration where one party is represented by an indian firm and the other party is represented by a foreign firm uh, will have differences in capacity because you know a foreign firm is on an average likely to have more capital right and a domestic firm cannot compete for that business so it is all the more important now that there is a Uh, sort of disbalance or disadvantage being created for Indian players, simply because they can't access more capital. So this really needs to change. And I do hope the next set of reforms in the legal sector will be towards allowing FDI. And like I said, it doesn't even take much. It's just a stroke of the pen.
1: Oh, so so that's interesting. So there is no legislative bar in FDI in this sector. So if let's say tomorrow, BCI says that we favor this, then the government can bring out simply no notification and then that's fine. Yeah. uh, It doesn't take much. (laughs) That's that's, that's fairly easy then. Okay. So, so how about, I mean, so, I mean, now that, you know, I'm guessing there will be more competition. There are now, now let's say foreign firms and now they would now want to look for, uh, you know, more customers and everything. So can lawyers, you know, I mean, advertise and like, uh, can law firms say, you know, like, yeah, we are experts in this, you know, please hire us. Like, what are the rules behind this you know solicitation of customers and will this reform uh, change that or make it worse how will it affect
0: yeah right so that's where my second pet peeve comes in and i've written about this as well to so state it very simply lawyers cannot solicit clients lawyers cannot advertise Okay, and these are professional uh, standards that have to be maintained by every lawyer, or they risk losing their license. And this has been the case uh, ever since uh, the beginning of the profession, right? And it's crazy because I'll just read out something which will tell you why such a restriction exists on lawyers, right? And the idea goes like this India. In India, legal profession is treated as a noble profession. There is and should be no commercial competition or procurement associated with the legal profession. The profession is not to be treated as a commercial activity or service in India. Law is not a trade and briefs no merchandise. So the leaven of commercial competition or procurement should not vulgarize the legal profession. And this is in the words of former Justice Krishna Krishnan. And this sort of tells you the mentality behind Why we have this kind of rules in place. We simply believe that uh, law is a noble profession. It's about uh, securing the interests of justice and appearing for clients and making sure that, you know, they get their dues. And in that sense, we make this assumption that, oh, this can't be a commercial activity. This is a noble activity. This is like, you know, saving lives and so on. But except this is unrealistic. Any person who has engaged the services of a lawyer would know that it doesn't come easy and nobody is doing this out of purely altruistic interest, right? There is
1: self-interest involved. There is... And also, I mean... Yeah. I mean, how would you tell to the customer, I mean, at the end, I mean, if you want to not say customer or somebody who is seeking justice, I mean, they should know, right, that there is somebody who is there. I mean, how else? So, I'm actually confused. So, How do lawyers now currently, I mean, have customers, I mean, like do they just sit in their office and hopefully someone does pass by? I mean, how does it work? Yeah, that's exactly exactly my point because this creates two problems for uh,
0: new and upcoming lawyers, uh, especially in the field of litigation because it's far more difficult to attract clients as opposed to law firms where, you know, you have your commercial clients. The problem is one, as you said, it creates an entry barrier. I can't advertise my services so how do i compete right and the second thing is of course uh, it inhibits efficient price discovery in the market so like we know like standard economics that price is a signal And this signal is completely absent in the legal industry. Now, I do not know how much it costs to draft a rental agreement. I do not know how much it costs for a divorce. I cannot find out unless I do a lot of painstaking research and ask 10 people. But uh, there is no Amazon or Uber for legal services, right? Where I can just go up and find out that, okay, these services are being offered for this price. And, you know, maybe I can pick this one based on certain reviews or based on what my uh, cost paying capacity is. And this is bad for both. It is bad for the practitioners and it is bad for the clients. or the customers in this market, right? And the other idea is, I mean, the fact that we don't treat it as a business means, again, you're not allowed to grow. You're not allowed to solicit. You're not allowed to find new clients. Although, of course, all this takes place. I mean, the reality is that, of course, there are lawyers who are fighting for clients and you're, you know, trying to make those contacts and trying to bring clients to their firms. Except all this has to uh, take place in a very non-transparent manner. And simply for a person who's newly entering this profession, it becomes very difficult because the existing system favors the incumbents in the profession. It sort of insulates it from outsiders gaining an easy entry. And this is a complaint. If you Even if you look at Twitter... And you see a lot of first-generation lawyers speaking out today it's simply because, you know, they don't have the contacts to set up the profession. And they can't build these without pre-existing contacts. So it's sort of like, it's a self-perpetuating uh, system. And this, which is bad, which is bad for both business, which is bad for clients, which is bad for
1: our legal industry. And ultimately, it's bad for justice. True, and I, I guess it also then adds to the point where there's so much disparity between legal costs, right? So there are some lawyers who, because, they, like, so there's always this complaint that, especially in litigation, lawyers are paid extremely less. Like, and then yeah. there are some, you see, there's some very famous lawyers who whose fees is in lakhs, or if you're a lawyer in Supreme Court, then it's in crores. So I guess if you are allowed this price discovery, and if, if uh, people know, you know, like, okay, you know, if I want to, as you said, like file a rental agreement, how much will it cost? It will just help consumers and the lawyers both, right? Yeah, exactly. And you wouldn't have silly things like if you open a
0: law firm's website today, you'll get a disclaimer saying, oh, this is not a, a request for solicitation or an advertisement as per the BCI <laughs> or professional standards. Right? You see that disclaimer on every law firm website. And we don't need those things in place. Why, why don't we just accept the reality that it's fine, it's a business service. And the other side of it is, of course, like you mentioned litigation. There is also the side of corporate and transactional work, right? Where like billing runs into crores of rupees. And even this is sort of, carried out uh, i mean the price negotiations take place between the clients and parties and there is no upfront quoting of uh, fees to the public because that is not allowed but uh, like i said the problem here is if you don't have price competition the industry doesn't grow it doesn't innovate it doesn't change with time right and for example a new player like you've seen in most industries which get disrupted right a new player comes in and they realize that okay this is the prevailing price level undercut the competition and grow my base right And that's something which is possible because you know the prices in the market. And that is not the case for a law firm. Like I can't compete with a client or compete with another law firm to bag a client because, you know, unless I have that access to special information, I can't openly do this. I can't engage in price competition. So that's a barrier, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, So I am also guessing that because of this barrier, I guess like, you know, the BBC, a lot of startups, you know, disrupting uh, like uh, all these like sectors So this also becomes a barrier for legal startups as well, I'm guessing? Yes, definitely,
0: definitely. It's very difficult. And we have uh, seen law firms grow along with uh, ever since the Indian economy has been opened. But the growth of law firms, uh, I mean, I don't have the numbers with me. But if you plot it, I think it's been far lesser as compared to the growth in the economy or the growth in other businesses. And it's uh, partly because, you know, the profession has been closed. And because of these high entry barriers, because of all these restrictions on price competition and price discovery, it's uh, difficult for the industry to grow as such, right? And the other thing, like you mentioned, is about disruption. Now, what creates incentives for companies to change the way they do their business, right? It happens only when their uh, place in the market is not safeguarded for generations to come they'll be forced to innovate. They'll be forced to adopt more technology, right? And do business in a more efficient manner. And what gives the incentive? It's price which gives them the incentive, the ability to make profits. And if that is not working out well in law firm, the players in the industries are more likely to prefer the status quo they would resist change they would resist outsiders from entering the market like for example uh, some of these accountancy firms uh, such as Ernst & Young and uh, Deloitte and others wanted to offer legal services and the existing players created a huge furore and they said that no they can't be because you know they are accounting firms and they are not law firms so and these are the kind of restrictions which exist right Because of which there is no competition or, I mean, there is not the levels of competitions which are ideal and due to which, you know, outsiders can come and displace the incumbents. And overall loser is, of course, the legal market, the clients and maybe the members of the profession or practicing in the industry because even their place is secure and uh, they don't see much growth.
1: Yeah, true. I mean, I think it's, it's that, you know, the usual kind of uh, pre-1991 kind of, attitude where you know like we want to just protect the industry but yeah. uh, how those measures are going to impact the industry and how it's not going to actually change anything i think that reckoning has to be there at least in the legal industry as well as has been the case in uh, the other sectors of the economy so thank you uh, sri Krishna. it was a fascinating discussion hopefully we can have this chat again, when there's a new reform where, you know, they've opened up FDI and then all these restrictions have been removed. Yeah. So let's hope for the best. And hopefully this kind of competition is going to be a net positive for the Indian legal community and consumers and companies, everybody. So thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks Hora for hosting this discussion. And I really hope that the BCI continues on this journey of reforms and at least we see FDI coming in the next few years and maybe we can initiate a conversation on lifting the restrictions on solicitation and advertising. Thanks again for this conversation. Thank you.
1: If you liked our show,